Good morning. Last Sunday when Andy preached, he came up trying to look like a young me. I thought about looking like him, but I don't have a Chicago Cubs shirt. <laughs> For good reason, I might add. No, <laughs> he's not here to defend himself, so that's all right. Uh, I was in the middle of a series on church leadership, a short series, three sermons, and today I want to conclude that series and go back, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 this morning. Acts chapter 6, I think as most of you folk know that our members here at New Hope next Sunday is our annual congregational meeting. It'll be held during the Sunday school hour. We hope to start that right after this service at about 9.35, so just kind of stick here after the announcements next Sunday. But part of that meeting is the selection of people who have either volunteered or been asked and are willing to serve as leaders in different leadership capacities here in the church. And uh, the, the first two messages in this series, we dealt with the eldership. The elders are responsible for directing the affairs of the church. They're the spiritual overseers of the church. They are the shepherds of the church and the protectors of the church. But today, I want to take a look at deacons, deacons. And so in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now let me stop there and just say this. Every time the church grows, there will be problems. All right, do you understand that? I hope you do. Good problems, growth problems, but every time the church grows, there will be problems, and I hope you understand that. Dead churches don't have a whole lot of problems. Growing churches do. But dead churches just don't have a lot of problems. For, for example, dead churches don't have parking problems. Right? Anybody want to argue with me on that? I mean, they, they, don't, have, they don't have parking problems. We've had parking problems. That's a good thing. That's a good problem to deal with. Dead churches don't have space problems. They're never having to think about if they need to add on to their facility. Dead churches don't have a Sunday school problem. Oh, they got plenty of room for the classes that meet. Dead churches don't have a lack of teachers problem or a lack of volunteer problem. In fact, dead churches just don't have a whole lot of problems, period, which may be why there are so many of them. Did you know that the average church in this country, in the United States, the average church never gets beyond 75 members? That's true. The majority of churches that just don't get beyond 75 members, but those that do get beyond 75 never get past 250. And very few churches ever get beyond 250, but those that do usually don't stop. Now, we're not there yet, but we're working towards it, all right? And the fact is, if and no church has all of their members present on any given Sunday. But if we did have here at New Hope, we would probably be beyond that 250 number. But what with the pandemic and any 
number of people that may have to be out of town on a given week on vacation or whatever, or people that may be sick or in the hospital or whatever. All right? Those are things that you have to deal with. Dead churches don't have problems, but growing churches have problems. And here in the book of Acts, in chapter 6, the church has just begun. They are increasing in number very rapidly, I might add. And so problems come up. And here's a problem where some widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of some food. And so, in verse 2, the twelve... The twelve who? Well, the twelve apostles gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, were the apostles above waiting on tables? No. Were the apostles saying that waiting on tables was not important? No. The waiting on tables, this distribution of food, all right? What they were saying was, we've got a higher calling. We have a higher responsibility. And what was that responsibility? Well, if you look at verse 4, they were going to give their attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And in verse 2, they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. So the ministry of the Word... And prayer, they have a higher calling, and they're saying, we cannot allow ourselves to get sidetracked into this, because that will hurt the ministry of the Word. And if the ministry of the Word is hurt, that will affect the entire body of Christ. Now let me tell you, even though the Bible teaches that, an average church member many times doesn't believe that. The average church member sometimes thinks that the church will just grow automatically and that you can just sit there and unsaved people will come and knock on your door and just want to be a part of you without any effort on the part of the, the church. It doesn't work that way. Everything we need is not just going to happen. It's hard work. And you have to be intentional about that work as the apostles were seeking to be here. And so the apostles say right from the start that the ministry of the Word has to be the priority. So if the ministry of the Word and prayer has to be the priority, then they say we have to find someone else to take care of this need. So who are we going to get? That's where deacons come in. As we believe Acts chapter 6 is an example of the selection of the first deacons in the church. Deacons are an asset in the ministry of the word when they do their job here, as, as they, these men do here. And that's what he says. He says in verses 3 and 4, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, in those problems that dead churches don't have, let me tell you what the average deacon does in a dead church. Not much. In the average church, deacons don't minister to the needs of people. They just sit in meetings and discuss things with the elders. And that's foolish. 
Because in any church you have people with needs, people that are crying out for help. Maybe sometimes you don't hear the cry, and, but they do need to be noticed and, and recognize that they have needs. But there's no one to minister to their needs. And that's why God says there needs to be deacons. Now the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. And it simply means a servant. A servant. And by the way, aren't we all supposed to be servants? Sure we are. We're all supposed to be servants. And let me say, as I said in the first two messages of this series, that every one of the characteristics and qualities that we are to see in these leaders is to be seen in everyone that professes to be a Christian. We are all supposed to be this way. So don't sit there and say, well, I don't have to be like that because I'm not planning on being a church leader. Doesn't matter. Somewhere else in the scripture, all of these things are said of everyone that professes to be a Christian. So we're all to be this way. We're all to be servants. But deacon, the word simply means a servant. It's someone that renders service or ministers to the needs of others. And it's a position in the church that is not to be sought for its prestige or its standing in the church fellowship, but just for the privilege of being a faithful servant in the Lord's work. It's not an office of leadership. It's a position of service. And so deacons are to carry out, you know, the, the, a, a service to the body of Christ. They're to meet needs in the body of Christ. Biblically, Deacons are not charged with the responsibility of the spiritual oversight of the church. They are not charged with directing the affairs of the church. And we get that from 1 Timothy 5.17 where it says the elders direct the affairs of the church. It never says in the Bible that deacons are to do that. Deacons are to minister to the needs of the body. And so biblically they are not charged with the responsibility of the spiritual oversight or the decision-making involved with that, but rather making sure that the needs of the church are being met. Now, God has honored the deaconship by imposing some high standards on them. And so let's take a look at those this morning, because these standards embody the highest ideals of Christian character. And again, we're all supposed to be this way. So what are the qualities, the characteristics, the qualifications, as some people refer to them, that these men need to have? Well, first of all, let's take a look at the spiritual qualifications. First of all, they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit. Okay, and then again in verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So these men were spiritual men. And maybe you ask, well, what's so important about needing spiritual men when all they're doing is waiting on tables? If all they're doing is just distributing food? Well, that's because every ministry in the body of Christ is important. Folks, you need to have spiritual people in the nursery. You ought to have spiritual people that are greeting out front. You ought to have spiritual people at every role of ministry in the body of Christ. And if everyone is a spiritual person, 
and views their ministry as being important to the growth of the body of Christ, which the Bible says it is, then what's going to happen to people's service? Well, number one, it's going to be good. They're going to do it well to the best of their ability. And number two, it's going to be a source of joy. Your service ought to be a source of joy to you. Your ministry in the body of Christ should be a source of joy. Now, if you're not a spiritual person, it's not going to be a source of joy. Because you're going to be constantly frustrated. Like putting a round peg in a square hole. It won't fit. And so, deacons need to be spiritual people. They need to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that will be evident in the fruit that they produce. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Actually, literally, it says keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's a constant thing. Continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And a deacon needs to be a spiritual man that's constantly yielding himself to the Holy Spirit. Now, a second spiritual qualification, he needs to be filled with faith. Again, verse 5, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. A deacon needs to believe God's Word and honor that Word by doing works of righteousness. Now, why is faith important? Well, for one reason, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith... It is impossible to please God. So that's one reason it's important. But isn't it interesting what James says in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26? James makes the point that faith without works is what? It's dead. Absolutely. Just as dead as can be. But guess what works are without faith? They're just as dead. Faith without works is dead, and works without faith are just as dead. Have you ever heard of dead works? I think that's happening in a lot of churches where people are just going through the motions. And the emphasis is not, man, I, I get to go serve the Lord. No, it's, brother, is it Sunday again? I guess I have to go to church and do my thing. Dead works. What does that do when you have that kind of attitude? Well, it destroys your joy. And it also will destroy your ministry. So there needs to be faith and faith that will trust God. And you may ask, well, why is faith so important in such menial tasks as, as distributing food? Well, first of all, if you're a deacon, well, actually, if you're a Christian serving the Lord, nothing you do is a menial ministry. Nothing. God can take a little thing and make it a great thing, right? He took five loaves and two fish, Jesus did, and fed thousands. David took a sling and five stones, and God brought down a giant. Moses had a staff that he threw on the ground, and with that staff, Amazing things took place. Sweeping the walks out here is not a menial ministry. Helping Jennifer fold newsletters, as some of you have come in and done, is not a menial ministry. Taking up the offering in a worship service or greeting out front or whatever it is, those are not menial ministries. Everything we do is of eternal consequence. 
And so deacons need to be men of faith. Thirdly, they need to be doctrinally sound. Doctrinally sound. Turn back to 1 Timothy 3, where we looked at all those things spoken of the elders. Beginning in verse 8, it says, deacons likewise. But in 1 Timothy 3, it's important that we have deacons that are doctrinally sound. They need to know sound doctrine and live according to that doctrine. So in verse 9, it says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. So they need to know the truths of the faith. They need to know the Bible. They need to know the scriptures. They need to know how to share that with other people. And even though, even though they're not charged with the task of teaching like elders are to be able to teach, they still need to be doctrinally sound. They need to be men that know the Word of God. They need to be able to communicate it. And their lives had better live up to the Word of God. So they need to be doctrinally sound. They also need to be tested. In verse 10, they must first be tested. They need to prove themselves. You know, we don't necessarily like that, do we? We don't like this concept of having to prove ourselves, and yet we all have to do it. We all had to do it when we went through school, right? We got constantly tested there, and we had to prove ourselves that we knew the material. You have to do it at work. You have to do it basically everywhere. You've got to prove yourself. But once you've proven yourself, usually you don't have to prove yourself again, because at that point you've earned the trust. You've gained the respect. That's what he's saying about deacons. You don't just take some guy and say, you know, you, you look like you'd make a good deacon. Come on board with us. No. You find someone that's been tested. Well, how are they tested? Well, they need to prove themselves over time that they are beyond reproach. That's what the end of that verse 10 says. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So they need to prove over time that in their personal life and in their faithful ministry to the church that they are godly men that can be trusted. Because like I said the very first week of this series, bad leaders, the wrong leaders, can destroy a church and do it very quickly. Well, those are spiritual qualifications. What about personal qualifications? In verse 8, he says a deacon must be a man of dignity. Deacons likewise, he says, are to be men worthy of respect. Men of dignity. In other words, not frivolous, not foolish. They're not the church clown, all right? I mean, a clown finds it difficult to minister to people's spiritual needs. And I'm not against having a good sense of humor I'm, or even making people laugh. That's fine. I'm simply saying he needs to be a man of dignity, worthy of respect. Someone that demonstrates a seriousness of mind, a seriousness of character, a seriousness of conduct, a life worthy of respect. They are also, in verse 8, to be sincere. Your Bible might also say, not double-tongued. All right? Not double-tongued, but sincere. You can depend on what they say. He's not a gossip. There are people that are that way. And I've known in some churches, some leaders that have been known to do that. 
I've known churches where in a leadership meeting where a sensitive subject was being discussed that was to be kept confidential among the leadership, 30 minutes after the meeting, 50 other people in the church knew about it. That'll destroy a church. It can devastate a church. And that kind of person is not qualified for church leadership. You can say, well, we'll go to them and tell them not to do that in the future. No. They've been tested and proved, and they've been proven what? Unfaithful. Not faithful. So a deacon needs to be someone who when he speaks, he doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. He's not double-tongued. He's not a person of duplicity. He's not a person that's a hypocrite. He's reliable, sincere, not double-tongued. And then it says, not indulging in much wine. Or your Bible may say, not addicted to much wine. So some people think, well, that means that he can have some. Well, just like the elders, he cannot be a drunkard. All right? Back in those days of the Apostle Paul, you didn't drink the water. Even today, when you visit some foreign countries, there are places you go where you do not want to drink the water. When we went to the lands of the Bible in 2010 and we were in Egypt, you did not want to drink the water in Egypt. The only people on our trip that got sick were people that may have ate salads that were washed with the water of Egypt or ate some native food there that had been washed in their water. But they sold water on our tour bus to, to water, what, what's what I'm looking for? Not a jar, bottle, water bottle. Two bottles of water for a dollar, two for a buck, until we got to Judea then it was a buck a bottle. <laughs> but nevertheless, there, there are places where you don't want to drink the water there. And so in those days, the best beverage to drink for your health was the fruit of the vine. But to take the fruit of the vine or the wine of Bible times and compare that to Miller Lite or Budweiser or Mogan and David or Chateau whatever, that's a jump of incredible portions. I believe that a leader in the church, this is my opinion, you don't have to agree with me, but I believe a leader in the church should abstain totally from alcoholic beverages. I just think that's best. I think that ought to be the standard. There's too many people who try to live their Christian life as close to the edge as they can. What's the least I have to do and still make it into heaven? Why not rather live our lives being characterized by incredible self-control and discipline because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Your testimony needs to be important to you. You need to realize we're all ambassadors for Jesus Christ and what we say and what we do is important. And so deacons cannot be addicted or indulging in much wine. Then in verse 8 it says, not pursuing dishonest gain, or your Bible may say, not fond of sordid gain. And what it means is this, this isn't a person that is dishonest in trying to get ahead. You can't have a deacon who always has an angle on everything so that everything will benefit him. 
that's someone that's fond of sordid gain. They're not good stewards. They're, they're not faithful to God. They have self-pursuits and self-goals and self-desires. They pursue dishonest gain, and so they see leadership in the church as an opportunity to better themselves. Maybe like, well, if I'm a deacon at the church, I can add that to my resume, and that'll help me get that job where, where the boss is a Christian because I'm a leader in the church. Well, that's pursuing dishonest gain. And again in verse 10, they need to be above reproach because there in verse 10 they must first be tested and then if there is nothing against them, nothing against them, no charge that anyone can pick up and lay at their feet and say, here's the reason why you shouldn't serve as a deacon. That's being above reproach. That's being without charge, okay? Someone whose life is an example to others of Christ-likeness. And I know that none of us wants to say of ourselves, hey, I'm like Jesus. And we probably shouldn't say that about ourselves because when we do, people start thinking what? Well, where's their humility? They're, they seem to be pretty high on themselves, all right? We should all be people that are Christ-like, yes. But it says in the book of Proverbs that our praise should be in another man's mouth. In other words, you don't toot your own horn. All right? Other people can say of you, hey, you're Christ-like. And when they do, you take that crown and you lay it down at the feet of Jesus, right? I mean, you don't wear that and say, hey, you know what they said about me? <laughs> no. That's when you lose that crown. So they need to be above reproach. And they must be filled with wisdom. Back in Acts 6, again, verse 3, you don't have to turn back there, but to be filled with wisdom. What it means is this person is able to under, understand God's word on a matter and then be able to use it to minister to the needs of others. That's, that's what wisdom is. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is it's how you use that information. And that's why the book of Proverbs is so good. Because it's the Bible's book of wisdom. It teaches you how to use the knowledge of the Word of God for good. So those are personal qualifications. And we've seen spiritual qualifications. Let's conclude this morning by looking at family qualifications. In verse 12 of 1 Timothy 3, A deacon must be the husband of but one wife. Same as an elder, means literally a one-woman man. We've already discussed this with the eldership, but there are to be men that are devoted to their wives in a pure marriage relationship. No adulterous relationships or even attitudes for that matter. And can I tell you this morning that a man that has a lust problem is just as dangerous as those that are going out and performing the act? Just as dangerous. Let me tell you what happens if you have a problem with lust. And your eyes get visually connected with things that fire and fuel that lust. You're headed for trouble. Big trouble. If you watch filthy movies, if you look at pornography, it won't be but a matter of months or maybe just a year or so when the story will be told about you of absolute immorality. The most holy person in the world cannot avoid it if they feed their mind with it. 
So not only free of adulterous relationships, but free of adulterous attitudes. This needs to be a man that loves his wife, and it's known to the people. And secondly, it says they must be good managers of their children and their household. Again, in verse 12, a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Now, why is that important? Well, we talked about that again when we talked about the eldership. It's important because if a guy can't handle four people under his own roof, how can he handle 40 or 100 people or more under several roofs? Well, he can't. And someone might say, well, I know that brother so-and-so hasn't done very well with his own family, but you've got to know his heart. He's got a great heart. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about whether he's got a good heart, but he's a terrible manager at home to go ahead and make him a deacon. Notice what else it says. Not only must they be good managers of their children and their household, but the wives of leaders must be qualified. Not just the elders and deacons, but their wives. In the midst of talking about the qualifications of elders and deacons, Paul says in verse 11, in the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. So four qualifications there for the wives of leaders. They must be, first of all, women that are worthy of respect. They must be dignified, serious about ministry. Men, women whose lives are lives that you would want to emulate. Godly women that are an asset to their husband's ministry and responsibilities. And I think that's a key definition. Is his wife an asset to his ministry? Is she an asset to his responsibilities? And if the wife doesn't realize what an integral part she is of her husband's leadership, she can keep him from being qualified. She could keep him from being chosen to serve or... She could disqualify him once he's begun to serve. So it's important for a leader's wife to remember who she is. They have to set an example too, and that's why the Bible says they're to be worthy of respect. And secondly, in verse 11, not malicious talkers. What does that mean? Not malicious talkers. Literally, in the Greek, it means not devils. Not devils, because the word, the same word devil, means slanderer that is used here. That's what the word devil means. The word Satan means accuser. The word devil means the slanderer. So they're not to be slandering people, not malicious talkers, all right? These wives of leaders are not to be the gossips in the church. Now, I've been in some churches where that's been the case, but that has no place in God's kingdom. They need to be ladies that when they speak, they speak the words of God. And in verse 11 also, they need to be temperate, which means not given to excess in any area. We talked about this in regard to the eldership, but they are ladies that are characterized by self-discipline and self-control. Now, why is that important? That's important because there's going to be some situations that come up in the life of any church where if your husband is a leader, he's going to be attacked. 
and you have to be able to control yourself. And it takes sometimes some incredible self-control. There will be some situations, women, where you'll want to say, okay, the gloves are coming off, let's go at it. And you can't do that. If you're a temperate woman, a temperate leader's wife, you're able to say, I'm going to get on my knees and pray about that situation. And pray that God's will might be done. And then lastly, in verse 11, they need to be trustworthy. People that are worthy of our trust. If, you know, if people know that there's someone that they can go to and they can say, listen, I need to tell you something. I got a problem in a certain area of my life. And they're, they're going to know it's not going to be spread around the room in Sunday school or, or spread around church on Sunday night. If they think they can't trust anybody, they won't go and tell anybody. And if they don't tell anybody, then they can't get help for whatever their need is. So our leaders and their wives have to be that kind of people, people that can be trusted. And it's so important in leadership that we not mess around with these things that God has laid down. I mean, and if you ever ask, well, how many deacons and elders do we need to have? Well, the answer is as many as are godly and are qualified. Leaders need to be trusted. They need to be trustworthy. And if they're not trustworthy people, it ruins everything about the ministry. But yet we all need to be this way, right? We all need to be trustworthy. We need to be people that have all of these characteristics, whether we ever have the title or not. Whether I ever get called elder or deacon or preacher or whatever should be beside the point. I should want to have my entire life qualified so that when God needs me, he can say, well, use him, or use her, or choose them, because God will. When you are faithful, when you're committed to God, and you have proven yourself, that's why I like what he says about deacons, that they need to be tested. When you've been tested and proven yourself to be worthwhile, God will choose you. He'll choose you, and you will serve. You won't just sit there twiddling your thumbs. You'll get an opportunity and it could happen sooner than you think if you're the kind of leader that God needs in His church. And again, as I've said in each of the other two messages, the greatest leader the church has ever known is Jesus. Why is that? I think it's because He was the greatest servant the world has ever known. He's both the greatest leader and the greatest servant. And the greatest servants make the greatest leaders. How did he serve us? Well, you know what he did for us. We celebrated it at this table this morning. He came to this earth obeying the will of his Father as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He came to take your place on the cross because that's where all of us deserve to be. But he saved us from that and took the penalty for himself. And now we can be saved from sin. Do you need to make a decision this morning to accept Christ as Lord and Savior? If so, you can meet me down front when we stand and sing. If you have questions about that, if you've not been taught how to do that, get a hold of somebody here or come and see me. And we'll go through what the Bible says that you need to do in order to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've already obeyed the gospel. 
but you're looking for a home church, we'd love to talk with you about being a member here at New Hope Christian Church. So maybe you want to come and share with us or talk to us about that. Maybe there are other matters in your life where you just need some prayer or whatever. Again, come to us. There are people who will pray with you, who will share with you, who will mentor you, who will care for you. Whatever your needs, don't let those needs go unmet. Let's stand and sing.